0: Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk on Babs Rose Ivy. I'm delighted this morning because these are people I actually really, really like. Hey, Connie Royster. Hey, Frank Mitchell. Unmute yourselves. <laughs> oh, I can unmute you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're good. You? I'm good. You I both look amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Babs. You too, Thank as you always you guys look charming. So, all right. So tell me about this collaboration because uh, I got the flyer. I got the notices. I got the information. I didn't even realize there was a, a window on Tony Hart museum. Uh, I, I I think I kind of vaguely knew in the back of my mind, but I didn't really, really know. So you all have started this chapter one, telling our neighborhood stories. And you're starting with the Constance Baker Motley exhibit opening at the, uh, at the Hart museum at the Q house. So tell me about this collaboration and and what's happening now. Connie, Connie Royster is Constant Baker Motley's uh, niece. Right. And so and so you stay connected and you stay keeping her story um, in the forefront of our consciousness, particularly in New Haven, because she's from New Haven. And she spent her youth at the at the Q House, what we now know as the Q House. So. So tell me about this this Connie Frank collab.
1: <laughs> um, well, shall I start, Frank? You should. So, uh, Bab. So yes, uh, Judge Motley started her life here in New Haven, born and raised here, and her her life actually would not have been Constance Baker Motley as we know her, but for the Q House. So there is this amazing circle that we're doing this exhibit at the Q House. And this exhibit really started uh, and this collaboration started with the talk I gave uh, to the Yale African-American Affinity Group. I don't even remember how many years ago, maybe three. I think it was just as the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And that led to this exhibit at the Yale Law School. Um, and when we did that, that was last year, last spring. I went to that, yes. Yes, right. And and there was an open uh, forum at that time in the spring when, just before it closed. At that time, uh, we got together and said, this needs to have some kind of life of its own to tell her story of the first African-American federal judge who came from New Haven, has much more to her life than just that, um, including her her extraordinary career as a uh, civil rights attorney for the Legal Defense Fund and many other things. How do we tell that story and use that as a kickoff to tell the story, other families' stories in the Dixwell neighborhood and greater New Haven and beyond? And the Community Foundation, um, specifically the Vineyard Project and the, um, what's it called, Frank? The uh,
2: the Fund for New Haven Black Futures, I believe. Yeah, yes.
1: the F- Black Futures Fund um, picked up on that and agreed to do, do funding for what we now have. Frank and Frank, they hired Frank, the brilliant Frank Mitchell to curate. Uh, and make this happen, and um Frank has been uh almost semi resident <laughs> at my house <laughs> um putting this exhibit together and i've I've just I've known Frank forever, but I've just loved working on this project with him to tell the story the first yeah. chapter yeah,
0: Frank so so why
1: did you say yes, like What was it about this, Frank, that
0: attracted you? Because, I mean, I I know of your work. I know how amazing you are. And you could do all kinds of things. Why did you say yes to this? Uh,
2: It's a great story. Constance Baker Molly is inimitable and so tightly linked to New Haven and to Connecticut. And it's sort of like the Amistad story. Plenty of people know the story, but more should. And so we're constantly in the process of reminding people and finding ways to connect who she was and all she did in her many facets to life in new haven and in connecticut uh, which is you know what she did when she was alive it was also a great opportunity to to keep reminding people about the many dixwell stories the many new haven stories that we haven't documented yet and prompting people to think about what do they have in there attics and garages and in their closets and in their hat boxes Babs, Rolls, that should be out so people can hear these stories and know who lives here, who lives here, get a sense of what life was like in the 70s and 80s and 60s and 50s. Those are periods we haven't documented well. We've got you know good documentation for the early 20th century, but you know, we don't have as great material for the times we actually all lived in. And so what we hope will happen because of this project is that more people will start thinking about what do they have in their house that they've held on to from their parents and grandparents that could help us to tell more of the stories of that part of the city, this part of the city. Um, Connie's family has been amazing because her mother kept a lot of stuff. um, And because there have been... Bakers, and Roysters, and Motley's living in and around New Haven, it was possible to hold on to these incredible bits and pieces of history so that somebody could have them. And Connie's lucky enough to have them. And and thank God she's willing to share some of that with us. There are things that she's got in this family collection that don't exist in other places, other archives around the city of New Haven. So flyers from the 30s and 40s to promote grocery stores and dances and parties and community events that link New Haven to Waterbury and Bridgeport and Hartford and sort of documents sort of the connections between Black communities as they grew and emerged here in mid-20th century Connecticut as folks are coming in and adding to the folks who are here and building these networks. And those things, you know, they were printed on paper, which Will fall apart after thirty years, and so it's just lucky that some of this stuff exists in Connie's archive. So we actually have the tangible evidence of people growing in these communities at that time, and you know we've got the oral history about it. But to actually see it in person is really, really incredible because it's not at the public library or at the institute library, or maybe at the state library in some old box. But these kinds of things are really precious, and it's amazing to have them. So and. Other people probably have things like that in their basements and they just need to go down there and start looking. So <laughs> that was a really important reason to take this project on. And I think because it's Constance Baker Motley, it, it it's a big enough name that it gets our attention. But everybody has things like this and everybody could be contributing to telling this story in New Haven and how black residents who had been here for generations and newer black residents helped to shape and change that part of the city and the city generally. And and we need to document those stories and keep telling those stories, particularly now as places are saying, you can't tell these stories anymore. These things didn't happen. So having the exhibitions, having people talk about them in public, having them in documentaries and in these public places, you know, refutes the idea that people just showed up or these things didn't happen, yeah, because they did,
0: so Connie, this is very personal. How do you feel about airing very personal objects and artifacts and letters and things and whatever have you? I mean it's very personal. how do you how do you how do you feel about that? How does the family feel about this?
1: Well, I think that my mother um, and also my aunt, Edna Carnegie was also a saver, um, and she actually, when she died, I gave um, her archive to the um, African-American Cultural Center, um, so there, there's still pieces of that um, there. Uh, I don't think they would have saved this stuff um, if they didn't mean it to have relevance um, both to the family and to history. Uh, You you can see that um, the documentation about my aunt um, is extraordinary. I mean, clippings and um, pictures and photographs, um, you know, they knew how significant her life was. And it it's it is documented. There is a true narrative uh, going on, and I actually think that, you know, in another life, uh, my mother particularly might well have been, who knows, an historian, an archivist. Um, you know, there's there's a kind of sense of calling when I look at some of these things that, you know, photographs were not just thrown in a box; they were in an album and names are, people are identified, um, which is one of the, the you know, the mains of existence for archivists, you know, who are all these people, right? You give us a whole lot of photographs, but we don't know who anybody is. They are so clearly identified. And um, that's that's really important. And it's important to me, you know, as I, um, look at these things. I can do a tracing myself. Oh, that's on you know on Emily or that's Aunt Sarah or you know, you know Aunt Marion. I can see these things. So uh, yes, it's personal, but the stories um, are not just mine. They're stories of, of you know of my family um, and my community uh, and the place that I grew up. And while I um part of why i can't get to finish and i don't know when i ever will like cl- decluttering you know as they say is because <laughs> i i i open you know an album or i find a piece of paper and i am there for a while reading and um if i knew something about it even reminiscing it's um it is deeply emotional but it's emotional in a very um uh, uh, I hate to say I don't mean public but it, in a sharing way it's meant to be shared I love it
0: all right so so this kicks off Saturday from one to four and will there be some programming and how long is the exhibit going to be up and 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 how, how can the community access it? And how long and for how long and?
2: Questions. Uh, yep, Saturday is the public opening and it really, it's an opening reception. There will be programming, not on Saturday, but we want to keep drawing people in and giving them reason to show up so we can keep asking them to think about telling their own stories and giving them some of the tools to begin doing that research if they haven't done that before. So there will be programming throughout the run of the exhibition. Uh, And we're going to finalize that. So definitely stay tuned. And this is the first big installation in the space that's going to be able to use the space fully. Uh, We had a a welcome exhibition up when the building opened, but because of COVID and massing restrictions and all the complications and sort of the, the needs of the communities that are the heaviest users, it wasn't as easy to get into the building. So we'll be figuring out what the, the right patterns are for visitor usage. Uh, so it may be Thursday nights and some other days during the week and then on the weekends, uh, but we'll definitely be tweeting that out and posting it uh, on the Q House website and on social media so people have a sense of when when else they can come in. And we'll definitely be up for tours, but we'll be doing some programming because we really want people to come in, be inspired and start looking around. and. and I'm looking at you, Beb, you. I know you got stuff in your in your closet that you could tell a big story with. What? <laughs> you got those hats in there to start with. Oh, that sounds like
1: a that sounds like an exhibit, right? It rem- reminds us of the one of the photographs in the exhibit, Frank, of um, the ladies at the at the luncheon. And yeah, right. The hats. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. So, Connie, uh, you talked about you
0: talked about when you'd come across something and you mm-hmm. you spend some time poring over it. What? Ooh. Tell me a little bit more about what that experience is like, because it's one Ooh. thing, and I we all do this. We go yeah. looking for something, you stumble across an a, a photograph or something, something's written on the back, or or you come across somebody's obituary, or you come across somebody's something or other award or whatever, and it just takes you back to that moment, and you're like, oh my god, I had completely forgotten about that particular time talk to me about what this experience was like to go mm-hmm. through these things that you probably haven't touched in a in a good while or ever right
1: or, 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 ever. or, wow. or ever I was looking I was I opened a, a book um Frank hasn't even seen this I opened a book just the other day and in it was a photograph of this group of black waiters waiters right um, and um and th- at least three of them were identified uh and the tall guy in the black was my uncle moxie, right Maxwell Baker and George Cunningham, a cousin and um uh And another cousin, I forget which of the Huggins, another Huggins. And they were dressed in their waiters' uniforms, um, starch white tops, bow ties, cummerbunds, and black pants. There had to have been, I think there were like, you know, maybe six or eight of them standing erect. This is a, um, and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, First of all, I couldn't tell where it was, but it looked like it was in the south. Um, and I know that these 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 men, my cousins, um, traveled the circuit. They weren't just up here in Connecticut, which they were, because they worked uh, at the country clubs uh, in, you know, in Orange and Woodbridge, uh, etc. In this on the circuit. Um, but they also did Florida in the winter and they did the West Coast and um, and they were looking so proud. And I thought, um, you know, that's a story. It's an amazing story and how much I loved my uncle Moxie and um, how when I had to just sit there and and um when I was in junior high school in New Haven and I was going to you know bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and he was a waiter at these clubs he would bring out his buddies and point and say that's my niece that's my niece And so proud, you know, that, you know, he was always very proud of me, but the stories just keep coming back of, you know, love and family and what it was must have been like to be a a black waiter on the circuit of, um, you know, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. so, yeah, it makes you stop and think. It makes you take in the history and how the history is also personal. Mm. That's just one example.
0: Yeah. I love it. So, so Frank, uh, you know, I was at um, uh, Dr. Jonathan Berryman's talk at the New Haven Museum the other night about the 60 degrees of separation of music in New Haven. And so, and it got me, it's, as I'm talking to y'all, I'm thinking about that. Does it, does, when you curate, uh, an art, an exhibition, um, and you know the people so personally. Like you know Connie, right? Like you know her. Um, you live in the same town as her. Uh, does this does this become more special? Is there a greater weight of responsibility to like get this right? Like what what is it like to know the person whose family you are curating their effects of?
2: Uh, it- it feels the same It because it, you're always working on a good project. You're always working with an artist or somebody who you trust and believe in and want to do the best work with. So in this case, it's that same sort of relationship. It's someone that you know and trust and want to do the best work with. And what's great about these kind of projects is that you really can. It's a relationship and a conversation and it's evolving and it can continue. And that's sort of a nice thing. And and this space and the way the space is constructed and the, the ideas behind this project mean that, you know, we can shift, we can change, people should stay tuned because we'll be, we'll be able to adjust and adapt and see how visitors respond to things and then, you know, update or correct or add more depending on what people need. And I think that's a great way of being able to work. And, and it's the kind of work you can do with a, with someone who you have a connection to, uh, if if it's a more formal creative relationship with an artist that you don't connect with particularly regularly, it's harder to do that. But since we have a, another kind of connection, we can keep iterating this project and keep adapting it for the audiences and find ways to Work with school groups or work with churches or work with libraries and anybody else who shows up and wants us to do something. And because we have we have another connection, we can make that happen. And I think that that's what makes project like projects like this so exciting because it's this chance to do something that feels kind of separate from what you do in a more formal space and with more formal contacts where the end product is an exhibition and it's in this big fancy gallery and then it's done whereas this is something we want to bring to New Haven and we'll continue to keep finding ways to share it and we'll keep adjusting what we can do so it's in the right place before the right people and we're having the right conversation using these objects to do that work and that's that's kind of a rare opportunity so it it's it's nice that we have it
1: i love it so but, so you know, can i talk uh, to you i want to add man? one thing back Babs, can I just add one thing? Yes, absolutely. What, what I I I have found the um, working with Frank a singular opportunity. Um, first of all, he's brilliant. Well, he um, is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't shake your head. He's brilliant, and it has been um, a, a wonderful collaboration. And, you know, I mean, obviously, he's the artist, and the you know the the, the the creative brain and power behind this. But I also think um, that uh, I have deep respect for him and I think he respects me and I think, you know, the stuff is mine. So, you know, (laughs) um, but we were able to say back and forth, what about this? Does this serve our goal?" Or what about this letter or this object? And it was a great back and forth that um, I think has made this project so meaningful to me. Uh, So I really thank Frank for everything he's done.
2: Mm. Yeah, you as well. It is a collaboration. I think if people are concerned that things get to be too intimate, they never do. because we decide this is the part of the story that you want to tell this is the part of the story that you want to hold back on it should be personal because history begins it is personal and how we are able to tell these bigger aggregate stories is because people are willing to share this happened to my grandfather this happened to my grandmother and so you know 15 people in this neighborhood have the same experience then it becomes history it's not just one person's idiosyncratic moment it's a bunch of folks had that experience that's history how do we make sense of it so it needs to be personal but it doesn't need to be too personal or too intimate. And you can find a way to reserve some things like people do all the time and share out what you wanna share and negotiate those boundaries. And I think we've done that well. And this project will only work if we're able to do it with people, so.
0: So it says chapter one, are, are y'all a part of, of many more chapters or like what 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 does that mean? And And, and what do we get to look forward to?
2: Yep, we're actively looking for chapter two right now. I know you got those hats in there. You got a big story. I'm going to be following up, so you should just either think about your excuses why you can't do it or decide how you want to how you want to have your story told in the space Because
0: I I I feel like I'm being
1: directed here, Connie. I think I'm being. This is not an ask; it's a directive. (laughs) There are many stories to be told. I you know, and I think. that Frank's right. I mean, this is, this is the big, you know, the beginning It really is chapter one. And the whole point was, uh, I think initially uh, the thought was, oh, this is going to be all about Judge Motley. And, you know, the thing is, no, it's not all about Judge Motley. It's about the, the many, many stories that have, that have to be told. This is a kickoff, you know, an inspiration to. That everybody has a story, it, it you know it's not just famous people. Um, she has, you know, she had, uh, you know, eight other, is that right? Eight other brothers and sisters, and you know, and they each had a story, right? And some of them are in this this exhibit, you know, and some of them aren't. Um, and it really was an encouragement to every other everybody else in the community. Uh, As Frank said, you know, to go in the attic and to go in the, uh, you know, in the garage, but also for right now, as you're cleaning up or, you know, moving and downsizing, don't throw stuff out and save what you have right now. Think about, think about the present for your grand and, you know, the people to follow.
0: Mm. So was there anything uniquely surprising that either one of you found out about doing this, pulling together, curating this exhibit that you didn't know before?
2: Actually, she's pretty well documented. And another, there's a recent biography in the past six months, maybe? Yeah, Yeah, one year ago, exactly. So uh, a lot of that has been covered. One of the things that I really liked about looking at the material that Connie has is it really is much more family material. So her, there's a Bible, an embossed Bible to her. There's a, an amazing uh, early edition of the um, Ebony Date with a Dish cookbook. Uh, so all these things that feel like they were part of her, her daily life that didn't show up as much in the press although she really was well covered in the press ebony magazine loved her jet magazine loved her i mean she she was pretty unique there wasn't anybody else like her she was sweet generous in that regard so she got good coverage and people found a way to kind of put her into a bunch of different categories pop cultural categories so following her new york career when she's uh, a borough president and going to lots of big glamorous events at New York hotels and sort of being photographed and showing up in Jerry Major's society, uh, but also uh, filing legal briefs and uh, judicial articles. So living in those worlds that would make her kind of a rock star for uh, a national black public, but also taking seriously her responsibility to be a judge and to be seen as credible amongst her peers and sort of how she negotiated that. and it, you sort of know that, but it's nice to see evidence of it uh, in her daily life and her artifacts.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think for me, um, one of the other things Frank's, Frank's mes- mentioning is that um, all those, all those magazines, all those jets, all those ebonies—they've um, all been saved. I mean, <laughs> I, they, I have them. I mean, you know, and. Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> and that's and flipping through those. And, you know, my, you know, my mother would put a little something to mark the spot. And, um, you know, mem- you know, that's pretty incredible that there's like an archive of jets and ebony's of. Um, you know, wh- when you see those, I mean, people do still some people do still have them but mostly they don't exist anymore the real deal the real thing
2: i threw mine away i hate it but i did see,
1: do. see? Oh, and yeah. i i've thrown some away I, yeah 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 so um it's it's really um historic to be able to feel and touch uh the original documents um and to see articles and not just on her i mean they are themselves um A history of you know our people Mm. and um you know she might not have been on the cover but somebody important was on the cover or somebody culturally significant was on the cover and she was inside so it's it was really interesting just to even go go through those Mm.
2: incredibly poignant because those things don't exist in print anymore so there's no more jet you know black enterprise doesn't exist as a Something you can hold in your hand. Ebony doesn't either, and so, which was unimaginable. Even and, and you know, I did some work with Mrs. Carnegie and Mr. Saunders and those folks, rooting around in the collections of the of casts. And I was always thinking, why are they keeping this stuff? Who needs all this? It's online, you know. It's it, it's microfilm. There's always going to be more, but in fact, there was not always going to be more. So
0: right. Wow, yeah. that's pretty. Uh, that's. That's pretty profound, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It, it's true.
2: I mean, they are online. I will say Ebony does kick up dust, you know, on Instagram.
0: Yeah, of, no, I, I get it. I, I see it online and I, and I like it online, but, but there is something quite fabulous about having it in your hand, you yeah. know? I mean, and, and for me, um, holding an Ebony and Jet, I, I could tell you, I, I, you know, we had them on our coffee tables at my of house when I was growing it. up, but they were at the salons, yes. right? So sometimes churches would have them in the hallway in the, in yes. the, on the foyer thing. Yeah. So well, I, you know, so it was a part of, I mean, everywhere we went, it was that black excellence, black glamour was, right, was so much a part yeah, of us.
2: Daily life. They they photographed everyday life. And so there was that record of people you know, jumping double dutch in their neighborhoods. It yeah. just bad stuff. <laughs> It was everyday people, this random person who was a farmer in Eastern right. Ohio, that they would get a story and sort of the effort to sell subscriptions through churches. So building the community, building the network of folks so that you are, you're reinforcing that sense of this is who we are. And we want you to know this in our churches and in our legal offices and in the doctor's office and, and right. going into those spaces and seeing this affirmation of, okay, yeah, we're part of that as opposed to. I don't know what you see now when you go to the doctor's office, but yeah, it's not that thing for sure. And the ancillary stuff that they did, the fashion stuff. The fashion the makeup stuff all those things <laughs> where people showed up together to celebrate who they were and sort yes. of, which, you know, it's like sometimes it powerful, so if you don't have that, the same prompt doesn't exist in the same way anymore. And that's. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the mo- exhibit.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I'm good. The exhibit is. Uh, Telling our telling our neighborhood stories, chapter one, Constance Baker Motley Exhibit. And it is opening Saturday, March 4th, uh from one to four. You can go and see all these things. And I take it you two will be on hand uh to greet people and to talk definitely. a little bit
1: about what we're looking at and what we're seeing. Definitely. Yep. Yes, definitely. I'll be there. Okay. Um and I, I look forward to seeing many folks um relatives friends new friends making new friends and encouraging people to you know do what we just did frank and i well thank you all for being with me this morning i enjoyed this
0: i'm glad i had opportunity to talk to y'all about this before the exhibit before i before i step in to see the exhibit on saturday afternoon so i appreciate y'all It's always a pleasure pleasure to see you, Connie. (laughs) Lovely to see you, you, Frank Mitchell. I'll see y'all soon. Thank Thank you so much for this opportunity to talk with y'all about this wonderful exhibit. Thank you. I'll see y'all. Have a good weekend. You too. We'll be busy,
1: (laughs) but yes.
0: (laughs) All right, Harry, it's our weekend. We are on our way out. Y'all be safe out there. The weather is going to be challenging tonight and tomorrow. So y'all be safe. And uh, I will talk to y'all on Monday. And I'll catch y'all at the Q House on Saturday. Hi, this is Bab rawls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut. And you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhaven.org.